Today, I'd like to start the way we did last week. If you would stand with me, please. We're going to pray together in the second lesson of the How to Be a Stand-Up Christian in a Sit-Down World series. Uh, and we're going to pray together. The, the words will be there on the screen. But let this be your prayer as we prepare our hearts to receive God's word today. Lord, I recognize that you are the one and only almighty God. You are the savior of my soul. You are the provider for my life. You are the strength that I operate within. I'm grateful to be your child. All I have, you have given me, and all I am is yours. Now I open my heart and my mind to receive what you have for me today. I will learn from you so that I can live in your love, follow your commands, and do your will in Jesus' name, amen and amen. You may be seated. I may, uh, this, this week I have probably prayed more about a specific sermon than I might have ha prayed for any other sermon this year. And I have asked our elders to be praying for me through, this, uh, through today as well. I always like our elders to pray. By the way, this pumpkin is here because this is the winning carved pumpkin for the pumpkin carving contest at student ministry, and it thought it was cool that it's the Five Lakes logo. Amen. That's pretty awesome. And it says, Jesus loves you, which is a very important message to know. David, can you now take this and put this over there, please? Yes, sir. Thank you very much. I don't know why, but pumpkins on the stage is just weird to me. <laughs> now that we've handled that. I've been praying about this and I've been uh, asking our elders to pray about it because um, what I'm teaching today is a difficult subject to talk about just normally. And uh, yet I think it's vitally important as believers that we understand it, that we comprehend it, and that we can operate within it. There's another aspect of it that I've been praying about. I am Micah Sutton and I'm a fairly intense individual on my calmest day. I am very intense about this because it matters so deeply to me. And it matters on two levels, one that we understand it, but secondly, that it can be delivered in a way that everyone can receive it. And today I want you to know that if you're a new believer, if you're a young believer, or if you're someone who's just checking out the claims of Christ, the Bible says that there are, there's the milk of the word and there's the meat of the word. That the milk of the word as a baby Christian, as a young Christian, as somebody who doesn't understand everything scripture has to say, which frankly none of us understand everything scripture says, but you're just getting started with it, then, it, then you have to sometimes take in the, the milk of the word. And there's a lot of churches that specialize in the milk of the word for very long periods of time. And they intentionally don't get into the, the, the deeper things. And I'm not judging them. I'm just saying that's their calling or that's what they feel led to do. It's great to build lots of baby Christians and I'm thankful for that. The flip side is today I'm going to be sharing the meat of the word. And so there may be some things that I say today that are difficult to comprehend or difficult to digest if you haven't been living for Christ for a while or don't understand the, the perspective that the scripture has on certain topics that are affecting our world today. 
So I've been praying for that. I'm going to ask you to pray for me in that, uh, even as I, uh, as I preach and teach this morning. Now, at the end of the sermon, you may say, Pastor Micah, you have preached better sermons throughout the year than the one you're preaching today. And you have a right to that opinion. And, and you know, I'm happy you like any sermons. But I've, I hope that you will get this sermon today and, and package it up in your heart and live it out. And the reason why it's the meat of the word and why sometimes it can be difficult is because we are very accustomed to the soft and cuddly side of Jesus. We love that God is love and that his gospel is for everyone, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We love the soft and cuddly sides of Jesus and, and the fact that he loves us as he does. And all of that is true and all of that is real, but we're also in a war. We're in a spiritual war that, that every believer, if you're a believer in Christ, you're in this war whether you recognize it or not. God came to save us, but there is someone who hates God. He's called the thief. When Jesus compared, when Jesus was teaching, he compared himself to the thief, or frankly, the thief was compared to him. He said, I'm the good shepherd that's treating the sheep well and wants nothing but good things for the sheep. We are the sheep of his pastor, pastor you and I, the, his people, the, his children, the people he loves. He said, I love them and I give them good pasture. But there's a thief that has come to steal, kill, and destroy. The thief cannot hurt God. So he hates the thing that God loves. He tries to hurt you and me because God loves us. Just the way we would love our own children, God loves us. And so if he can't touch God, he's touching the children of God. So in short, the thief works to steal what Jesus gives, kill what Jesus gives life to, and destroy what Jesus builds. If you haven't been with us last week, I encourage you to catch up online, which we're building off of last week today. Now, we're asking the question, how do I be a stand-up Christian in a sit-down world? And step number one last week was become passionate about Christ's mission because we will not active, actively engage in a mission that we're not passionate about. We talked about that last week. Step number two today is identify your enemy. Identify your enemy. If you don't know who you're fighting, what you're fighting, last week's the why we're fighting. But if we don't know who we're fighting then we become very ineffective in the battle. And most of us never see the thief because the enemies of our soul are not physical. They're invisible. So how do you fight a battle with an invisible force that you are not able to see? Well, the invisible enemy is revealed through things that you and I can see. In fact, I've said every time I've ever defined the enemies of our soul, I've given you three things. Carnal nature, the world systems, and demonic or satanic influences. So carnal nature, that is not a seen thing. You and I have a carnal nature, but it's not something that I can look at and say, oh, there's Brian's carnal nature. I can't see his carnal nature. It is revealed as, people, as, as we have bad attitudes, Anybody ever had a bad attitude? Okay, that's your carnal nature. There's only like seven of us that have ever had a bad attitude. And this, this is a very good room, I'm telling you. 
Uh, how about hurtful actions? Anybody ever hurt anybody through your actions or been hurt through their act, someone else's actions? That's carnal nature being acted out. Or we can call it even acting out in our own situations, like maybe uh, uh, an addiction that we have, we act out, or a habit that we've developed, and so we act out in that. In that. That's our carnal nature being revealed through the actions of our life. The thing that is seen us is expressing the unseen thing. How about world systems? World systems are revealed as people uh, work together to make decisions for things like governments or societies or communities. Now, in these, these areas, if they're world systems, then they are unbiblical or antichrist in their, in their actions. Not every system is antichrist or unbiblical, but I'm talking about those that are the enemies of our soul. And so you see all these different people. And so when I said government systems, a, a system does not have a face. You can't see the government, if you will. But when I say government, immediately people's faces pop up into your minds. Now, if you're, if, if you're thinking good things about government, then you'll think about the people that you agree with in the politi political world. But if you're thinking these are enemies of our soul, then the people who popped up into your mind, the faces you saw, probably are people that you disagree with. That's how our minds work. We put faces to an unseen thing depending on our feelings and our thoughts toward that thing. But how about demonic or satanic influences? They are revealed as we experience an influence to move away from Christ. And in fact, every influence to, be, to move away from Christ is demonic in origin, satanic in origin. Uh, satanic or demonic influences oppress people. And so you feel that sense of weightiness or heaviness that's causing you not to be effective in the things of this world for the kingdom of God like you should be. It's even possessing people. The enemy cannot possess, Satan, demonic forces can't possess a believer, but they do uh, possess some people. Whatever the demonic force or, or Satan does, it's to push people away from God. And I frankly think that this is seen more than we recognize. I think this is happening far more than we know that it is. We can, we can see something that we don't recognize. A little while ago, I was in Kroger, and, and I, was, I was standing there in a pair of shorts and sneakers, a baseball cap and a t-shirt, and I was the first in line, but I was, you know, in the self-checkout uh, people uh, area. You have the, the aisle, and I was standing kind of by, uh, in, in the aisle of all the goods, because the line was fairly long. I was standing there waiting for my turn, and a woman from this congregation, who I know well, interact with regularly, walked by me. And when she did, she kind of glanced up at me, and I glanced at her, and I said, hello. And she went, and she moved on down the line. Didn't think anything of it. A few minutes later, she walked back this way. And I went, hi. And she went, and moved on past me. A few minutes later, for the third time, she walked by me and I said, good morning. And she went, hello, and moved on down the line. And I was like, what just happened? Anyway, I saw her at church and I said, hello. She said, hi. I said, how you doing? She said, good. I said, do we have anything going on between us that I'm not aware of that's like negative? She said, no, why? 
I said, well, I said hello to you three times in Kroger the other day. And, and she went, oh, I am so embarrassed. She said, I thought, this is some weird guy trying to talk to me. I said, well, there was a weird guy trying to talk to you, but it wasn't a weird guy that you didn't know, you know. She saw me, but she didn't recognize me. Sometimes we see things that we don't recognize. So when, the, when Satan or demonic forces are moving in our world, we, they're revealed in carnal nature and the directions of our world system. We, we see them consistently at work. So things that you can't see are expressed through things that you can see. In nature, we see it all the time. Things like gravity. Can't see gravity, but drop anything and you'll see it revealed through the thing falling to the ground. Black holes can't be seen, but you can see its effect on things around it. So you know that that's a black hole. You, you can, they can measure them. They, can, they have all kinds of information about something they cannot even see with their eyes based upon its impact on the things that they can see around it. Dark matter, it's not visible, but it's revealed by its impact on things that can be seen. So the, the seen thing reveals the reality of the unseen thing. In fact, God himself even does this. Romans chapter one, verse 19 and 20 says, for what can be known about God is plain to them, them being humanity, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. He's saying, I've shown you through the stuff you can observe, my power, my existence, and my nature. All of that, the unseen, being revealed in what can be seen. And this is important. Because the spiritual war that we're in is revealed through the things that you and I can see. And this is why Paul, in our text, he's named Saul, but we see him also as Paul. This is why he can write two things or write one thing in Ephesians that seems to be in complete uh, contradiction to what we watch him do. Here's, here's what it says in Ephesians. We don't fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers. You know what I'm talking about? We don't fight against flesh and blood. Principalities, spiritual authorities, powers, rulers of the world, rulers of this time period, this age. And so he says, flesh and blood is not our enemy. That's not where our fight is. And... In Acts chapter 13, where our text is coming from, we see Saul, also known as Paul, stand up face to face and, and have a, a negative interaction with, an altercation with. He's going to war with one individual person that's literally standing in front of him. This is what the scripture says, Acts 13, 6. Barnabas, Saul, and John Mark came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. He wanted to hear the word of God from them. But Elymas, 
the magician. So I'll tell you why he has two names in a minute, but it's the same person. For that is the meaning of his name. Opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So Bar-Jesus or Elymas, he's working specifically to turn the proconsul who wants to hear the word of God. He's trying to turn him away from the faith. Now, one of the most difficult things to do as believers is to identify our enemy. In this situation, it seems like the, the enemy is obvious. Bar-Jesus. And he's actively working against God, actively working against the gospel, actively working against God's will. In our world, we don't always see it that clearly. We don't fight against flesh and blood. So the, the walk of the Christian, the war that the Christian is in, is often very self-oriented, self-focused. In much of Christianity, Christianity has become a very self-help or self-focused belief system. Why is that? It's because uh, the war that we fight is spiritual, not visible. So at the end of the day, what we end up doing, because we don't have any particular thing to go fight or any person to go fight, what we end up doing is becoming more and more introspective. And the war becomes a war of self-control versus spiritual advancement. I just want to not sin. I'm trying so hard to not sin today. Anybody feel me on that? I just don't want to sin. I'm doing spiritual warfare, so I'm not going to lust today. I'm doing spiritual warfare, so I'm not going to uh, lie today. I'm doing spiritual warfare, so I'm not going to. And, and that's not what spiritual warfare is. Does God want us not to sin? Yes, he wants us to live holy and righteous. But the war that we're in is about more than just us keeping us clean. It's about moving outside of us as well. So today we have to recognize that the enemy is always a spirit. The tool is usually a person. It can be us as a person, me, myself, and I, or it can be someone else as a person. Now, as believers, that's hard for us to get, and it's hard for us to receive at times because, frankly, I think we've worked to distance ourselves from that reality. Because as long as what I'm facing is a spiritual entity somewhere removed for I can't see it. I can't really talk to it or interact with it. It's a spiritual entity. It doesn't have a face. So I'm not having to face it. I don't, I don't have to look at it every day and deal with it every day. So I often just ignore that reality. I don't, I don't see it. So I can act like it's not existing or not, not happening. But the fact is, Satan works, he's a copycat. And he takes what God does in a pure form and he, he augments it and uses it for evil. How many people understand that the church is the body of Christ on earth? If you know that, raise your hand. So we as the church represent God on earth. If somebody says, I want to see a physical representation of God on earth, it's the church. That's what scripture teaches us regularly. Well, the enemy does the same thing. 
in this case, he's using this dude named Bar-Jesus in order to stand against the work of the gospel in the proconsul's life. He, he's pushing against that. So Satan works through people just like God does. People aren't the enemy, but they are the tool. For an example, somebody who consistently sows doubt about God. They don't have to completely deny God, but they can continue to sow doubt about God or creates conflict regularly. Conflict over faith, conflict over biblical truth. Or how about someone who demands mercy while offering no mercy? Or somebody that spews hate and doesn't show any love? See, those are the people with the faces that we have to look at and work with and live with and interact with. Those are the people that as believers, we often uh, try to ignore the issue in the room because we don't want to be a problem or a difficulty. We don't want to have an issue with anybody. So we have people in our world, and I've said this like 50,000 times in the last little while, but we have people in our, in our communities who will uh, have an argument with a neighbor and, and disown a family member over, over whether they voted for Biden or Trump, but they won't have a gospel conversation because they don't want to have conflict over faith. And on one hand, it can be humorous, but on the other hand, it's a reality and it's kind of sad because we're, we're willing to fight a political battle, which is exactly what's going on there. And we don't, we're not willing to fight the spiritual war that we're called to be within. Now you might say, well, wait a minute. You are saying that physical people can be enemies of God Pastor Micah Sutton, you are a mean man. Well, Paul would say that we have all been enemies of God. This is what Paul wrote, Romans 10, 5, uh, 5, 10. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So he's saying that before we were saved, we were enemies of Christ. We have this idea, humanity does, that in this spiritual warfare, we have like people who are for Christ fighting the battle of righteousness. We're, we're wearing white hats. We're the good guys. And then we have this large neutral territory that a whole lot of people in this neutral territory, you know, they're not for God, they're not against God, they're just kind of neutral about God, and so they're, they're non-combatants. And then over here, you have those people who are against God. Those are all the really evil people, like the Satanists and the occultists and, and all the people who deny Christ and, and fight against God. And, and the, the scripture would say that it's entirely inaccurate. There are only two sides to this. You're either in Christ, thus for him, or you're against your enemy, not in Christ, and thus an enemy of Christ. It's only two. So anybody who is not in Christ, living for Christ, is an enemy of Christ. We don't like that. Because now, now we have faces. Now we have people that we know, that we work with, that we care about, that we love, that we live with. Now we have people specifically that we can look at and go, okay, they're not in Christ. They're not a believer. They're not somebody who is following the Christian principles, who've not put their faith in Christ Jesus. So, so now all of a sudden, I, I have to decide, am I going to see them as, as an enemy of Christ? 
And can I see that they can be used as a tool of the, of the actual, the spiritual enemy to negatively impact my life? As a believer, negatively impact my faith as a believer. So too often we sit down for spiritual enemies to avoid conflict with people. Think about Paul himself. He's a killer of Christians and a prisoner of Christians fighting against the gospel. And Jesus does not say, hey, you know what, angels, y'all gather around. You know what, I really have a lot of hope for Paul, uh, for Saul. I, I really hope he's going to come around. I can't wait for him to start asking the right questions. And man, he's going to open up the right door. And boy, we're going to have a good confabulation. And we're going to talk it all out. And he's going to get to say, no, Jesus knocked Paul on the ground. He didn't say, I want to avoid all conflict with Paul. No, he calls conflict. It's, it, it would be a conflict with me if you knocked me on the ground. I would get up wondering, what you going to do now? But with God, I have no recourse. Paul ends up being struck blind and he ends up giving his life to Jesus. And he ends up being a great proponent of the gospel. But Saul wasn't wooed by Jesus. He was knocked down by Jesus. Next week, we're going to talk about Saul addressing Bar-Jesus in Acts 13. But today, I want us to see that identifying the enemy informs our response. When we know who we're fighting and what we're fighting, then it determines our response. So look at this enemy that, uh, called Bar-Jesus that, that we read about here that Saul is actually facing. This is what he's... He's described, very, he's described very well in Scripture, which is kind of unusual. You see people all throughout Scripture that do pretty incredible things that are known as a certain man, a certain woman, the master of. We don't have a lot of detail about them, even if we just learn a lot about what they do. Even if Jesus uses them as an example for us. But look at what it says about Bar-Jesus. Number one... He's a magician or a sorcerer. If he's truly a magician or a sorcerer, then it's from a demonic source. If he's a fake magician or sorcerer, then he's a fraud. Either way, he's, an, he's anti-Christ. Secondly, it says that he's a false prophet. So he claims divine knowledge and divine authority that he does not actually have. He's saying... I speak for God like Jeremiah or Isaiah or Elijah. But he does not speak for God. He's a false prophet. It then tells us that he's a Jew by birth and reasonably by upbringing. He would have had knowledge of God. In fact, he would have known that in the Old Testament, in all of the, the scripture that he would have had access to, he would have known that they killed false prophets. So he obviously did not take what the scripture said seriously or he would have had fear in engaging in what he was doing. So he's ethnically Jewish. He's a magician whose practice is pagan and he's selling false knowledge for profit. He's representing many things without actually living out any of the things that he's living. He's a con artist. He's a thief. And his name is Bar-Jesus, which means son of Jesus. 
He's also Elemas, which is Arabic for sorcerer. So here he is being defined as a sorcerer, known as a sorcerer, called son of Jesus. And Luke says that this magician has one goal. He said he opposed them seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So Barnabas and Saul represent the truth of the gospel. They represent the faith in Christ Jesus. And Bar-Jesus is actively trying to push against that. Can I say that anything that is not fighting for the gospel is pushing against the gospel? Every single time. The thief is working to steal the proconsul's walk with Jesus. And in Bar-Jesus, we see that the enemy faced that day and the enemy faced right now is undeniably similar. Let's, let's identify some of the pieces of, of the enemy. How, how do you recognize the enemy when he's working? The enemy will, number one, assume the authority to mold truth to their liking. In, in Bar-Jesus' case, he's taking a little bit from here, a little bit from here, a little bit from here, and he's mashing it all up together. He's the first mashup artist. And, and, and he's doing that. What we would say in today's language is Bar-Jesus deconstructed many faiths, faiths rather, and he, he reconstructed his own faith. When we say deconstruction, what do we mean? We mean we take stuff apart, we discard the whole, or we discard just unwanted parts, and then we try to put things back together in a way that we understand it, that we think are valid. And it works in theory, but in fact what it does is it denies the entity's existence altogether. We take it apart and there's just not enough that we agree with to actually put anything back together. So we just discard the whole thing and say, well, that's, that doesn't work for me. Or we put something back together and the structure is destroyed so it cannot live up to its original intention. It's no longer doing what it was intended to do. Uh, here, here's some examples. You deconstruct scripture, which is kind of popular today. And, and it becomes useless because it just ends up saying exactly what I want it to say. I've deconstructed it. I put it back together. And now I agree with myself. Except I quote scripture over it. How about deconstructing the church? I deconstruct the church and I put it back together and it's beautiful because it's exactly what I want it to be. I don't have to be in submission to anything because I agree with everything because it's all me. How about de deconstructing family? I think you can have amazing relationships with people outside of your family. But recently to somebody told me, you know, I don't think family really means like father, mother, brother, sister, etc. I, I think family really means whatever you want it to be. You determine who your family is. And on the outside, that's kind of, okay, kind of cool. I get it. But the problem is family has always been, and by scripturally, it's defined by two things, blood and contract. Blood by birth, a contract by marriage. So if somebody is my family, what I'm telling you is that I am connected to them by either blood or covenant. The reason why we say we are the family of God is because we are connected by the blood of Christ and the covenant of salvation. So we are the family of God. But outside of blood and covenant, there is no, it isn't a family. So I can't identify relationship because I don't, I don't know what you personally mean by the word family. 
How about deconstructing marriage? It's useless if you deconstruct it and it just becomes whatever you want it to be. Heterosexual marriages have been the norm for all of eternity. Now we have same-sex marriages that the government is recognizing. And then today in Massachusetts and in New York, you think the battle is over? Not even close. New York and Massachusetts, there are entities that are fighting right now. And in one town in Massachusetts, it's already been made law that uh, uh, polyamorous couples, polyamorous units, unions, I guess, that means there's like three or four or six or eight, however many people they want in this, in this group, that they now have legal rights, just the same as married couples, in renting situations or purchasing contracts. So next is going to be they all want to get married. Oddly enough, they are, our world at that point will celebrate that. And yet they have for generations said that Mormons who do the same exact thing are weird, odd, immoral, all kinds of stuff. Now, I don't agree with either one, by the way. But the Mormons, the reason why they're odd, immoral, etc., is because they said they saw this in Scripture. So that's weird. But if we say we're doing it because I just want to, let's talk about freedom and unity. I, this is not popular teaching. I know that. We may not need our new facility when I'm done with this series. <laughs> I'm not dumb. I know how this works. I appreciate that. Yeah. One, assume the authority to mold truth to their liking. Two, work to explain away God's truth. Oddly, in a world that says you live your truth, if you say I'm living God's truth, you're wrong. Third, be antagonistic toward biblical truth, even when offered by non-Christians. I could talk about that, but I'm out of time. Deny the gospel or will work to keep people away from faith in Christ. Take a picture of that screen if you don't have it already, and I, I, I encourage you to go back to it. The end result is they always push people away from Jesus. Now, here's the thing, y'all. It seems like Bar-Jesus, the mashup artist, should not have cared what Barnabas and Saul taught. Oh, dude, come on, bring more. I'll just add that. I'll, I'll, just, I'll just work it into what I'm doing already. Come on. But he did care. It's like in Hinduism. Hinduism doesn't care if you bring another god into the, to the mix because they already have many gods. You just add, a, add one more to the, to the mix. They just care if you say there is only one God. Bar Jesus, he can't make this, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ mix with all of his other stuff because it, it's polarizing. It says either Jesus is who he says he is and he's the only savior or he's not, which makes him the ultimate liar. And it causes us to say, what do you do here? So the thief doesn't care what you believe as long as it's not God's truth. Anything else is acceptable. In our world right now, how many feel like you relate to the idea that you know, I, th I think I could just be about anything else outside, a as outside of a devoted follower of Christ. If I really am a Bible-believing Christian, I've suddenly become the pariah in the world. 
Because the thief doesn't care what you believe as long as it's not God's truth. But notice this today. Everything that we're talking about in our world is all based on, well, it makes sense over here. It makes, it's logical over here. It, it you know, we're, we're trying to find the science to say that this is accurate, et cetera, et cetera. But can I say it this way? Throughout human history, humanity has done both wonderful and horrible things. Intelligent, educated, and forward-thinking people led all of it. The proconsul was an intelligent man, the scripture says. When the mind is submitted to God, the best scenarios unfold. When the mind is not submitted to God, the worst atrocities are, have occurred. And I'm not talking about God as an excuse to do something. I'm talking about God as Lord of our lives. And it's a battle because as I've talked about all of this, and as we recognize that the invisible thing becomes visible through the visible people in this world. Maybe we have people that we know, their, their faces are popping up in our heads because they're pushing against the things of God or they deny Christ or they don't know Christ or they're, they're not receptive or they're, they're actively antagonistic toward the things of the word of God. And when I say things like, well, you're either in or you're not in, that, that just seems so divisive. Can I tell you, I've got people in my own world that I love dearly, people I would give my life for who fit that category of people. I don't say this lightly. I say this with a lot of love and frankly, a lot of grief in my heart. But ladies and gentlemen, the truth is humanity's end goal is not truth, but it's to do what is right in his own eyes. And so the enemy feeds that. The spiritual enemy feeds that. And that's why it doesn't matter what you do in this world as long as you don't stand up for the gospel. And there was only one answer for all of it. Next week, we're going to talk about what he did. But there's only one answer to all of it. And it's in Acts 13, verse 9. Before we see Paul, Saul doing anything, this is how, what the scripture says about him. Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit. The only answer to the enemies of our soul is the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. It's the only answer. And I believe that as Christians stand up, I believe that we're going to see God do miracles, signs, and wonders. I, I believe that we're going to see God do what he did in the early church in today's church. As humanity continues to walk away from God. But as Christians, we stand up. Stand up in a world that just says, sit down. Don't say this stuff. That's why I've been praying about this all week. That's why I've been asking the elders to pray all week. That's why I'm concerned about it. But the truth is more valuable than anything else. At the end of the day, it is the truth that sets you free. Father, in the name of Jesus, 
I pray for your people right now. That your grace and that your mercy would cover us. I pray that the joy of the Lord would be our strength. But not from a, a position of ignorance that we don't know what's at stake. Don't know what we're fighting. Don't see a face to face up to. But I pray that we would see your hand at work in our lives. And as Jesus addressed Saul, I pray that we would have the courage to address the enemy at work around us. Even in the lives of people that we love and care for. I pray that you'd give us the courage and the words and the wisdom. We don't operate out of hate. In fact, it's exactly the opposite. We act out of love. Saying there is a hope of salvation. And the only name under heaven given among men through which we can be saved is the name of Jesus. So Jesus, we call on you today. And if that's your prayer, would you say amen?